When it comes to running a business, few things matter more than generating revenue. But sales folks aren't just closing deals. They're tracking down leads, forecasting growth, whipping up reports, managing contracts, creating content, crunching numbers. The list goes on and on. And with Q4 around the corner, there's a better way to win. It all starts with the new HubSpot Sales Hub. With HubSpot Sales Hub, your data, tools, and teams are fully linked inside a smart and highly customizable platform that feels good to use. Turn prospects into pipeline and close the deal all in one place. Plus, sequences and smooth workflows helps reps streamline tasks and spend more time on what they do best, connecting with customers. With Sales Hub, closing deals is no big deal. Try it for yourself at HubSpot.com slash sales. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here. And today in the guest chair, I have Bola Shokumbi. Bola is a certified financial education instructor, a finance expert, and a four-time best-selling author of the book, Choosing to Prosper, as well as the three-part Clever Girl Finance book series. She's also a speaker and founder of Clever Girl Finance, one of the largest personal finance media and education platforms for women in the U.S. Ola is also the recipient of the 2021 Financial Education Instructor of the Year Award from the National Council of Financial Educators. Bola and Clever Girl Finance have been featured by several media outlets, including Time, Money Magazine, CNBC, Forbes, Fast Company, you name it. And she's also been featured on Good Morning America, BBC, and more. In today's episode, Bola shares her journey from side hustling to starting the Clever Girl Finance platform, testing out different revenue streams, things that she learned that have helped her business to scale and so much more. I was personally inspired by this episode and learned a lot about continuing to grow a content-based business. So let's get right into it. All right, Bola, welcome, welcome to the guest chair. I'm so glad to finally have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be speaking with you. I'm a huge fan. Oh, the feeling <laughs> like we were talking about pre-show, we met like years ago and it's so amazing to see your journey. I've been so inspired by it. I remember, I think at the time you were promoting your very first journal. So please take, yes. us, take us back a little bit. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. You are a certified financial educational instructor. Was this always your career path or is this something you started out as a side hustle? Certainly not my career path. So I went to college to study computer science. I'm a tech girl. I have a mm. uh, degree, a bachelor of science in computer science, a minor in web development. <laughs> I can build websites okay. <laughs> and a minor in business. Fun fact. Yes, fun fact. So <laughs> when I came out of college, I went straight into working in technology. I worked in technology consulting. I worked in data analytics. Uh, personal finance um, was nowhere on my radar. But I did always mm. have side hustles because 
themselves. I come from a family that is entrepreneurial, specifically my mom. My mom, I call her the side hustle queen because growing up, yes, growing up, I'm Nigerian. Growing up, she was, you know, a young mom. She got married young at 19 with a high school Mm -hmm. degree. My dad was much older and she wanted to be able to bring money into the home. So she was going to school and running multiple side hustles while she was in college. I was going to her college classes and going to her side hustles. So I've always had that streak in me. So even while I was working full time, I was running, you know, I I was testing and trying different things. At one point, I was an Avon girl selling to all my mom's friends. Oh, the original side hustle. (laughs) All my aunties, I'm like, come buy some Avon. I had a retail, an online retail clothing business. I had a photography business, which I had for about six or seven years that, you know, at some point was earning me more than my full-time job. And so with Clever Girl Finance, it was something I started as a side hustle. I didn't know I was going to start this, but I had just had my kids. uh, I had given birth to twin babies. Mm -hmm. And I think it was one part postpartum and one part just... Mm -hmm just kind of a feeling of gap. You know, when you're you're about to go back to work for maternity leave, you have your first child, you don't quite want to go. And you're like, does what I do even matter? Well, this was how I was feeling. So I was kind of like in this Mm -hmm. space where I was like, okay, I love my job, but who really cares about data? (laughs) Well, the data I was working on, (laughs) when it all comes down to, are they going to say, let's remember Bola for the amazing data she (laughs) she worked on? I was like, what can I do that is going to be meaningful to my kids? And of course, like I mentioned, post postpartum depression. So I was going through this phase of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was actually brainstorming this for about two years. I had a journal, I would write different ideas. And when I would browse through it as time passed, everything came back down to money. At the time I had a personal blog where I would talk about, these were the days of bloggers. I'm aging myself now. Blogger. <laughs> but I would talk no, about... I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I can relate. Starting on blogger.com and going from there. Exactly. So I would talk about saving to splurge. I would talk about what I was investing in. I was talking about relationships and dating. And it was just, just something personal, but fun. And I was like, why don't you talk about money? My friends, I'm the girl that was always talking to my friends about money. And they would always ask me, Bola, what are you investing in? How are you saving? What are you doing? So I was like, you know what? Let me just start something related to money. The name Clever Girl Finance Mm -hmm. came to me in the shower. (laughs) Random. (laughs) And that's just, so it started to answer your question. It did start as a side hustle. So you did eventually go back to that data job yes. and then keep going with Clever Girl Finance. Yes. What did it look like in those early days? Like besides the blog, what did Clever Girl Finance entail? Uh, so it was, uh, let me think now. So Clever Girl Finance, it was, I had a website, there was the Instagram accounts. And I remember being one of the early stage Instagram users because initially Instagram was developed for photographers and I had been using it for my photography. And I was like, I'll just start posting some finance tips here. Maybe people interested in photography will like these finance tips. Uh, So it was the Instagram, the website articles. And then I started very early on starting to feature money stories from other women who had either saved a significant amount of money or paid off a large amount of debt or had leveraged entrepreneurship to change their financial situations. I would feature other women. And so uh, that's what it looked like. It was articles. And then I also had one-on-one coaching at the time. So I had myself Mm. as Bola, the coach. (laughs) Let's talk about your money issues. And that's what it looked like. It was a little small, little corner of the internet, but Mm -hmm. it was what it was. (laughs) I love that. You have to start somewhere. And I also like that you 
took that extra step to be certified as this financial education instructor. So can you share a little bit more about what that means? Because nowadays I have realized that a lot of people are calling themselves money experts and money strategists, (laughs) but (laughs) when you go look them up on websites, there's no certification insight (laughs) that makes them qualified. And with your money, you have to be really careful with who you're listening to. So how did you go about the process of becoming certified to speak about this? Yeah, so there are so many certifications out there in terms of what you can be from a finance perspective, right? You can be a financial advisor, you can be a certified financial planner. Um, There's just different certifications. Uh, So for me, initially I was pursuing the CFP route, which is a certified financial planner route. Mm -hmm. But I realized that there was a lot of restrictions in terms of opinion-based content and a lot of content okay. clever finance is me was me sharing my opinion my experience my thoughts so i was like well okay. i would like to have if someone were to ask what qualifies this woman to teach finance i want to be able to have some sort of backing yeah. some sort of credibility because again i'm coming from a technology background you know okay i've saved money i've invested money but sure so have many other people so how can i get yes. qualified to be able to teach this with credibility right what i know and what yeah. i'm learning so i decided to go the certified financial education instructor route which qualifies me to teach personal finance and is does not have the opinion based restrictions um in general okay. i don't offer investment advice i don't say go and buy tesla okay. at tomorrow at 2 p.m <laughs> because i'm not a financial <laughs> advisor but that qualifies yes. me and and gives me the competency to teach and i do maintain my certification um every single year <laughs> yes you go girl i love it i love it i love it And so speaking of that, now, when did you realize that you could start to make money from the Clever Girl Finance side hustle? Okay, so full disclosure here. While I was a side hustle, I had not yet realized I could make money. What I had realized was that I needed to be able to dedicate time to see if I could turn this Mm -hmm. side hustle into something. So while I was working full time and running Clever World Finance, uh, the first year it made $200. (laughs) That is not Mm. enough to quit your job. (laughs) But I got to a point where I was just feeling like, okay, I think this thing has potential. I'm not sure, but I need more time to focus on it. My full-time job is very demanding. I have two little babies under a year old. I'm working when I put my babies to bed, I'm staying up to 2, 3 a.m. I'm up again at 4, 5 a.m., getting them ready wow. for daycare, going into New York City. This is not sustainable long term. I was working seven days a week, 18 hours a day, family business, wow. full-time job. So I said, okay, I would like to give this idea a chance. So I'm going to give myself okay. 12 months to work on this business to see if I could yes. potentially turn it into a money-making side hustle or full-time hustle, which means I would leave my job uh, in order to do this. However, I'm not the kind of person, I'm not that risk taker where I'm going to cash out my 401k. (laughs) And then I know some people have that level of risk, but I don't. uh, And then go start a business. I'm not that person. So I said, okay, at the very minimum, my savings, my 401k, whatever my husband and I have planned, right? It's going to stay in place. And so what can I do to create a buffer where I go out and do my tests, my business tests, but don't Mm -hmm. impact my household financial obligations and I'm still able to meet my own financial obligations to my home. So I decided I was going to save 12 to 18 months of my expenses in order to quit the job. 
So that's what I did. I opened up a business account, a savings account. And while I was running Clever World Finance as a side hustle, I was still running my photography business as a side hustle as well. So between oh, my full-time okay. job and my photography business, I started putting money aside towards this Clever Girl Finance test, my 12 to 18 months of runway, knowing that, okay, once I have this money saved, I can then leave my full-time job. I was planning, I was already winding down my um, photography business because it was no longer sustainable for me to do eight, 10-hour weddings because I was having significant back issues, birthing twin babies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm mm -hmm. going to put those two things aside and focus on my business. And that's what I did. I saved about 18 months of runway wow. and that allowed mm -hmm. me to quit my job. And quitting my job was extremely stressful. I was having so many mental debates this is such a stupid idea. You're going to leave a six-figure oh, paying no. job. You're going to leave your 401k, your your benefits. <laughs> With two babies. <laughs> to go start a business that only made you $200. <laughs> so I really, like, I really had to, like... <laughs> There was a lot of mental really debate. Really had to push through. Yes. Oh, yeah, the mental debate. But question here now... How long did it take you to save up that runway? I know it was 18 months worth, but how long did it actually take you to save that So much? I saved it in about two years. So I ran my business part-time okay. for two years, Clever Girl Finance part-time for two years. On the second year, okay. I quit my job um, and I had the cash in the bank that did not affect anything else. So if it didn't work out, we would just act like it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> The savings is not impacted. <laughs> the goals are not impacted. Right, let's right, just, right. let's not talk about it. Goals let's keep it moving. Chapter. Yes. Um, uh -huh. so, so I did that. But were you also testing out other, when you say running Clever Girl Finance, I know you had to have been testing out some new revenue streams so you could make more than $200, right? Yes. I was testing out. So just to give you more context, starting the business, I had dedicated $6,000 to start the business. Um, that was mm -hmm. building the website. This was from my personal savings. And I was like, I'm going to pay myself back this loan I'm making to my business. Okay. So this was building the website. This was, I decided to launch a planner. I remember you said we met when I, my planner had just come out. So I had that right. life planner and then I added a business planner as a stream of income. I had my coaching that I was doing. So those are the three, the two main streams of income I had, the planners and then the coaching. Okay. And then as time went by, I was like, okay, you know what? This one-to-one -one is great because I'm learning about the needs of my audience, women, women of color, women of a certain age, a certain demographic, but one-to-one -one for me is not scalable. And in my mind, my ultimate goal is to build a business of scale and a business of impact. So one-to-one -one yes. was great, but it was not where I wanted to be, right? So I said, okay, mm -hmm. let me start some sort of course program. And I came up with a six-month accountability program, which is kind of like a membership where people would join and over a six-month yeah. period. Every week, we would have a series of things that we did to help you stay on top of your finances. So that became another income stream. In that second, third year, those were the income streams that helped to increase earnings to after I left going from $200 to I think the next year was about $50,000. That's a nice jump. Yes. That's a nice jump though. But still not my six-figure <laughs> income. Right? right, right <laughs> but right. it was something. <laughs> and I know you had to invest to make the physical planner. So out of all of those, you mentioned about three to four that you tested. Which was the most profitable? So the most profitable was the course, the accountability program. It was a six-month accountability program. Uh, I forget how much people paid. Uh, there was like a six-month yeah. option. I think it was like $249 or a monthly option of like $49, something like mm -hmm. that. But, you know, mm -hmm. in the early stages, I was hungry and I like... In a sense, I'm an overachiever. Uh, I come from 
an African household. I'm Nigerian. And I don't know if you've heard the saying, <laughs> you're either a lawyer, a doctor, Which an one? engineer, or a disgrace. Oh, yes. Oh, I, yes. I was none of those, oh, right? Yes. So I was already on the borderline disgrace. And then I go start a business that's making $200. So the aunties are like, ah, oh, Bola, is everything okay? Is your, are you having money problems? <laughs> You know, so oh, I can only imagine. You your I can only imagine. Are you all right? Mm-hmm. So you know, so there's that. Right. So for me, I was like, okay, I, I need to figure this out. And mind you, while I was testing, figuring out different things, I was actively applying to jobs and going to interviews just to make sure I still had it in me to get a job if I needed to quit this Ooh. test and go back to work and make some real yeah. money. So that's the way I was operating. That's So were you planning, if the you know offer was good enough, were you planning to take on the job or you just really wanted to keep your skills and your interview skills sharp? So I did get a job and the offer was great and I accepted the offer, yeah. but I couldn't do it. And I still wasn't making enough money in my business, but I was like, my husband's like, listen, you've already saved this money. You still have a runway room. I just couldn't yeah. do it. So I, I then declined. Okay. Shout out to supportive husbands. Yeah. Yes. Shout out to supportive husbands. He's my number one fan. But in that instance, in my mind, I was like, I think I can make something of this. I wasn't giving up yet. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And so there are a couple of really important things that you've mentioned that I want to highlight. Um, not only that you tested out different revenue streams, not only that you saved, but you also gave yourself a time frame before you would say, all right, this didn't work. Um, and it's important to really have that mapped out because you can't keep flailing forever. But at the same time, when you have a focused time frame, mm-hmm. you know what you need to do. You know you need to zero in. And I think that search for that job, that was coming from that place, that mental place of fear. Yes. And once you really realize, you know what, instead of spending time interviewing, because that takes energy and mental space away from your business. You say, I'm going to lock in and continue to devote the time that I said I would to making this business scale. Yes. And you said something that I wanted to highlight. It's You said that it was coming from a place of fear, which is very true. And that ties very much into my background, right? I mentioned my mom got married very young. She was 19 years old. She married my dad. They're still married today, but my dad was 30 something years old at the time. He had a PhD. My mom had a high school diploma. And it was a situation where many times as a little girl, I would be in the corner of the living room and my mom's friends would be there saying, I need to leave my husband. He's beating me. I have nowhere to go. I have no money. Or my husband has passed away and his family has come and pushed me out. And they had no options because they had no money. And my mom just never wanted that to be her. And that's why she became that side hustle queen. And she was just always finding ways to create a buffer, eventually getting her own college and graduate degrees and eventually becoming the breadwinner of our household. But I saw that. And so for me, one of my biggest fears is ending up like those friends and those aunties that would be on the couch in our living room saying, I have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Can I spend the night here? So one of my goals in life is I'm always going to have money. Husband, no husband. Right. <laughs> business, no business. Same, same. I got to have money. Always, I need my money. Yes. Right. So that was. I'm like, <laughs> yes. I get you. I get it. <laughs> I completely relate just to feeling like you always want your own. You always want to feel like you're bringing mm-hmm. something to the table. It's funny. My husband has a friend that's always like joking, like what's such and such bringing to the table? And that's. <laughs> That's how I feel, too. It's like, <laughs> we all got to bring yes. something to the table. <laughs> Even just for your own peace of mind, it's important. Right, for your own peace yeah. of mind. Yeah. You know, you can. It's such 
a confidence booster too. Like I could do this. Like I'm a superstar. You're a superstar. Yes. We're each, you know, thriving in our own life. Yes. So now <laughs> when did it start to click? Like, here's what Clever Girl Finance is about. Here is my main revenue stream. Here's what I provide and the impact that I can give the world. So I don't think there was one moment when it started to click, but I started getting positive reinforcement and positive feedback, mm. which meant that as I was testing and figuring out what I was going to do, the audience that I was targeting was telling me, we love this. This is helping me. This has helped me change my finances. I am now debt free. Yes. Um, I have mm. now um, created an emergency savings fund. I've never been debt free in my life. I've now started my business. I've now done X, Y, Z. And just knowing that this business was changing lives was number one, it was humbling because I was like, oh my God, who am I to be in this position to help anybody change their life? And yes. um, number two, it was empowering to me because it was like, girl, you're onto something. The dollars may not be flowing in now, but just stick to your focus and your vision and continue to test things out. And knowing that while you're figuring out yes. the monetary side, you're still helping people. Mm -hmm. And knowing that you got a resume, you've been interviewing. If you need to go back and get a job, you can do that too. So mm -hmm. those, it was really the positive feedback I was getting that just made me realize, okay, wait a minute, I am onto something here. So let's just keep testing. Let's just keep pivoting. I started doing speaking. I started doing workshops. We started doing brand partnerships. And one of the things that we do at Clever World Finance is create a lot of content and brands started to recognize mm -hmm. that. So not only were we doing brand partnerships for Clever Girl Finance or with Clever Girl Finance and other brands, we're also creating content for other brands as kind of like a consultancy okay. ghost kind of oh. business model. So there are now okay. multiple different um, streams of income as we were continuing to grow the audience and the platform. Wow. I didn't even know about that kind of ghost yes. writing. You mentioned your audience. Who did you determine was that target audience? So when I first started the business, the audience was me. It was <laughs> me... A woman of color, a black girl, uh, not familiar with finances. I come from a background where, I'm, you know, my parents told me to save. But as an immigrant moving to United States for college, they didn't know the American system. And a lot of my friends are just not aware of how things work. Even my friends who were from here, born and raised here. So mm -hmm. it was me, someone who was starting that first job, someone who was making money, someone who was trying to figure out, wait, am I bad if I don't budget? Am I bad with money if I don't budget? How do I invest? What do I buy? So I was writing for myself, for my younger self, based on what I had learned. And then as time progressed, I started to realize based on the feedback I was getting and my life was evolving that, you know what, I should be creating content for new moms, for single parents, mm -hmm. for dual income households, for breadwinners, for women between ages 35 to 65 who are, you know, making X amount of money for low income earners. So the content expanded very broadly. And my goal was that I wanted any woman who came to our platform to at least find, if even if she couldn't find herself in me, find herself in mm -hmm. one aspect of our content that would be relatable okay. to her. And when you say content, tell us a little bit more about your content strategy. How did you develop this robust content system that you have now? Yeah. So at the beginning, it was me, myself, and I. I was everything to the business. As all of your listeners know, when you start a side hustle, you are the CEO and the janitor, the intern, the coffee maker, <laughs> the marketing yep, yep. expert. So, you know, 
when I first started, I had no clue about, I just had a passion for personal finance and money. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about writing content. I didn't know anything about SEO. I didn't know anything about video production, podcasting. So I'm like, okay, let me do what I know how to do well, which is I can write articles because I've been writing a blog, right? So I would write those mm-hmm. articles. And I'm like, wait a minute, I can take these articles and leverage them for other content, right? So I would take the articles and mm-hmm. maybe take snippets of the article and use them on Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. So the website became the home base. So all content starts on the website. All, all content ideas start on the website. That content today is now leveraged to create social media content. It's leveraged to create videos. Uh, those videos are leveraged to create reels and shorts. It's leveraged to create podcast content. Um, it's leveraged to create courses and worksheets. So I, our primary like foundational content starts on our website, right? We own all of that content. Um, and then it's then used and propagated into different formats to reach audiences at different places because some people love to read some people are steady on social media looking at posts some people just want to watch reels and tiktok some people just want to watch youtube videos or listen to podcasts when they're driving right so Mm -hmm. that's kind of like how we manage content Success Story, hosted by Scott D. Clary, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Success Story features Q&A sessions with successful business leaders, keynote presentations, and conversations on sales, marketing, business, startups, and entrepreneurship. I recently checked out the episode called How to Focus Like Einstein, where Scott discusses how to zero in on this laser-like focus, because we all know that we can accomplish more in less time if we just focus. Listen to Success Story wherever you get your podcasts. So you say we, so when did it go from so just you doing everything to this we? Okay, yeah. So it was me for a long time. Um, It went into multiple people when I got accepted into an accelerator program. So I got accepted into Techstars New York. And at that time, I was a solo founder with nobody on my team. And in order to go through this program, I needed to have support. So at that time, because that program came with uh, funding investment into your business, which was Mm -hmm. at the time $100,000, I don't know if it has changed, uh, I was able to hire initially the people I needed the most, someone to help manage operations, the day-to-day running of the business while I was in the accelerator, and someone to help with execution in terms of just improving the brand. And to me, I felt the person I needed was a designer, for a look and feel and making everything cohesive. And then part-time, another personal finance expert who had experience with student loans. Um, so that okay. was the team. Um, a lot of people for $100,000, not a lot of money. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm here counting like we split that between. <laughs> yes, got spent fast, but it was a really great opportunity mm-hmm. because at the time I got into the program, I think maybe we had started doing sixty or $70,000 a year. That was money mm-hmm. that was a year and a half of income that allowed me to hire three people to support the growth of the business. How are you able to keep paying them once that money ran out? Okay, so the team kind of has evolved, right? So when we went through the program, we quickly pivoted to courses. Um, My vision for Clever World Finance was to always have a free platform. Um, At the time, I couldn't Mm. afford to have a free platform because I needed to pay people to help this business grow. So um, 
we quickly pivoted into courses during the program. One of the things that myself and the other financial expert did was we built out courses. We built, we leveraged the accountability program that I had initially mm-hmm. created and pivoted that into courses. And it was six months of content of weekly, daily and weekly content that was getting sent out to audiences for different topics. And we leveraged that to build, I think, our first 15 courses and expanded on them. And then we quickly built out an additional 16 or 17 courses. So the Clever Well Finance platform has over 30 courses on different personal finance topics that we created or we collaborated with other experts to create. So we did that very, very quickly. That was like very long days because we needed to have a product to launch for me to be able to come out of this program and potentially pitch to investors if I wanted to raise more capital, which I did not, didn't work out that way. Uh, But we built this Mm -hmm this course platform very quickly and we were able to monetize it by selling individual courses and course bundles. And so that was then how I was able to pay the team I had Mm -hmm. and then hire additional content creators like writers on a Mm. contract basis as well. I love this. This is very intriguing to me. This is very interesting, you know, going through this accelerator program and then having to really work out, okay, what is going to be my pitch? What's going to be the overall package that I'm telling them that they would want to invest in? So you wanted it to be a free platform initially, but it sounds like the courses are, they're paid courses. So how have you reconciled those two? There's all this free content. And then if you want to dig deeper, that's when you have to pay. No. So our entire platform is free. Um, Okay. The courses are free. So today they are free. At that time, they were not. And so that was one of my goals, right? But when you go through an accelerator, there's a, this is a venture capital. This is a hundred thousand backed by venture capital. In the venture capital world, it's not a lot of money. This is a blip, right? And the goal is that you come out of these accelerators. So we did Techstars New York, which is a very um, high esteemed accelerator. It was was actually like a touch of God that I got into this. It was insane, but I, I got into it and there's goals. You meet with mentors and like, this is how you should pivot your mm-hmm. business. This is how, you know, you should make money, raise capital. Your goal is to raise a million dollars. And it was all this pressure. And I, I went with the flow initially. I created my pitches. I pitched. I went through 90 plus investor meetings, um, didn't raise wow. any money. And I realized that, you know what, you've done close to hundred meetings none of this is you. This is time to stop and pursue the original vision you had for yourself. Yes, I want to build a business of impact and of scale. I would love to have a million dollars. I have since spent my (laughs) $100,000. But now we are here. What do you truly want this business to be for you? I don't want anyone to tell me what kind of business they want me to build um, because they've given me X amount of money. So you know, the money I had raised from the accelerator, I was still in full control of my business. Um, and I had then gone to a point where I can actually give you this money back, right? They have 6% equity in my business, but that's okay, right? It's To me, it was right. a significant investment that allowed me to get where I am today. It wouldn't have happened otherwise. But then 6% and me being in control of my business, me not having to have calls with you every Sunday to tell you what I'm doing works. And I had friends who went <laughs> on to raise a million dollars, two million, and two times a week, they're on the phone for two hours talking to investors about what they need to be doing that's so distant from their vision. Um, I have another friend who yes. ended up having to go to therapy because they refused, they blocked an exit. So they raised all this money. Ooh. They grew the business to about $200 million. Um, yeah. Multiple investors, he had a small percentage of it, but in the grand scheme of $200 million, that's a lot of money. 
and they blocked the mm -hmm. exits and he was devastated. So I had to think about that. I've gone through 90 plus meetings and of course, you know, black girl trying to raise money. I was being told all kinds of things. Um, black women don't really care about their personal finances like that. Uh, wow. My wife is a CFO. She doesn't care about money. <laughs> oh, you should wear a lipstick when you meet male investors. Oh, you should wear high heels. Oh, what does your husband think about you trying to raise money? Do you have kids? Don't talk about them. Wow. They're too much baggage. These are investor meetings with VCs that you mm -hmm. see all over Instagram. I see them now and I, I laugh because I'm like, you guys, yeah, people that people know that you're, were telling me this, you tell me you're minority focused, you're women focused and we get in there. And you're like, what does your husband think about you being? Yeah, <laughs> so I yeah. raised zero. And to me, that was a eye opener, a sign, a sign that, you know, well, yeah. this is actually not where you want to be. You have a goal, you have a mm -hmm. vision, you're trying to make a platform that supports women regardless of whatever. And so coming out right. of that program in 2018, um, we're continuing to test and pivot, grow the business, grow the audience, and then the pandemic rolls around. And okay. um, during this time, again, this is me and my cautious self. I had every money yeah. that Clever Girl Finance makes, a certain amount of it goes into business savings. And one thing I learned mm -hmm. early on is that as a business owner, depending on your business structure, you can actually open up a business brokerage account and invest in other businesses okay. the same way that you would okay. invest in the stock market, right? So I was investing for right. Clever Girl Finance and saving for Clever Girl Finance. That was my peace of mind. And it was like, if anything were to ever happen, right, I need to be able to try to carry on this business, try to pay people until they can find good landing spots and just have this backup fund. It's just part of my personality okay. to have money in the bank. So the pandemic rolls around and March 13th is when everything shuts down. Between March 13th and March 19th, we are getting emails and we are getting social media messages and they are all so devastating. Like what? I'm trying to figure out my finances. My job has let me go. I'm trying to create a budget. Wow. Can you let me into your course? Can you help me? I just got my last paycheck at work. This is all I can use to buy groceries. What wow. can you do? Is there any way you can help? Please, please. It was just really heartbreaking emails. And so I told my son, I was like, listen, we said we want to build a business of impact. We want to help people. Our goal has always been to make this platform free. If we cannot help people now at the end of the world, because <laughs> at that point it was the end of the world, right? We didn't know anything about this right. thing. There was no vaccine. Yeah, Everybody stay right. home. I've never seen anything yeah, like that. So the world is ending. If we cannot help people in this moment, when can we do it? So by March 19th, we figured out how to make the entire platform free, remove all recurring mm -hmm. payments, and then we started to issue refunds. Incredibly, mm -hmm. a lot of people actually did not want their refunds back. They're like, you know what? This is the reason really? why we're, we told them why we're making the platform free. They're like, help other people. It's fine. So we issued the refunds to the people who wanted it and we made the platform free. We got wow. so many enrollments um, since then. We've, we have about 100,000 people who have taken our courses. Each person takes an average of about five to six courses. So we have about 550,000 mm -hmm. individual course enrollments. It was just incredible. It was not what I expected. And because I had that buffer yes. in, the, in the bank, I was able to say, okay, team, we're going to build the parachute as we go down. Let's figure out brand partnerships. Let's figure out other revenue sources, our workshops, other ways mm -hmm. to make money now that we've made this platform free. While that was happening, brands were paying attention. And because so many people were spreading the word about our courses being free, it helped yes. us grow. Our traffic skyrocketed and we got all these opportunities that three or four X the revenue that we had planned to make 
by being a paid platform. And that really blew my mind. It was at that point in 2020 that the entire platform became free. Like you don't pay Mm. for anything. Um, The courses are free and they will remain free. And we're just pursuing our other sources of income. So since then, we've evolved. Um, I still do occasional speaking and workshops. We do brand partnerships on the Clever World Finance platform, on the brand platform we do. And the partnerships vary. There are social media, there are uh, content, video, a variety Mm -hmm. of different uh, partnerships, uh, advertising. We have advertising now through our advertising partner, through our content, um, the books now. So I've written four books and we still have the planners, which have been improved. We have an upcoming planner partnership with Erin Condren. So we have now multiple streams of income that we have created, uh, which now helps us kind of create that sense of stability as we continue growing. I had no idea all that the Clever Girl Finance platform entailed. I had no idea you'd gone from this paid platform to this free platform in the pandemic, no less at the time where everyone's just trying to like make some money, charge for something. And so to have this reverse experience of saying, I'm going to let it be free. I'm going to do what I set out to do. And then to have these kind of blessings come, it is just such an impressive feat. And it really is inspiring to me, you know, makes me rethink a lot of the things I want to do moving forward. You, I'm sure can relate to as a business owner, you go through so many periods of transition. Yes. Because now you're in this, right? You hired yourself. You can't just leave. (laughs) Yes. So you have to continually check in with yourself. Like, does this feel right? Is this what I want to be doing? Is this how I want to impact the world? Yes. Yeah. That really inspires me on that level. Thank you. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit more about the brand partnership side. It sounds like one of the initial real injections of money that allowed you to keep this platform free. In addition to brands reaching out to you, were you pursuing a certain amount of partnerships to keep the business in a healthy place? Okay, so I love this question. I have so much to say about this question because my my thought process has changed over the years. Um, So Mm. brand partnerships was income source that we were pursuing because brands started reaching out to us. I mentioned earlier, we create a lot of content. So we people always ask me, do you have PR? Who is running your PR? We don't have PR. Our content is our PR. We turn out a lot of content at Clever World Finance. So right now we have about 17 writers. The blog is updated every single day. This content is turned into videos and podcasts. And we, ha- we create a lot of content. We're a media company that focuses on financial wellness. Um, and so brand partnerships was one angle that was like, okay, this is a way to bring in extra money. You work with brands. They pay you big bucks sometimes or little bucks, post something on Instagram, do a video, do a this, do that. And I realized very early on that when you're doing a brand partnership, it is great for revenue. But again, I had to go back to my vision. My goal was to build a business of impact that helps women, specifically women of color, change their lives. And when you're doing a brand partnership, you're no longer promoting your brand or your vision. You're promoting that brand's vision and that brand's goals, who's trying to monetize your audience by paying you a fee that might be a lot of money to you, but is quite insignificant to them. Again, when we remove all everything I said from it, comes to dollar signs, I'll take the money because I have bills to pay. Great. (laughs) Okay. But I had to think bigger. I do not want to be a brand partnership business because I'm not here to promote Mm. other people's brands. It is great to have as a nice to have, like you put on a beautiful outfit and I put on the brand partnership as my earrings. 
great. Okay, yeah. I can take those earrings off whenever I like. I also realized that brand partnerships are not necessarily um, they're good. So don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with brand partnerships. You will see that we do them a lot. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. but I realized that not a predictable, is it that what I'm looking for? They're not a predictable or forecastable, reliable, reliable source of income yeah. because that income is dependent on that brand's finances, that brand's forecasting, that brand's business strategy for that period of time. Right. And brands can cancel brand partnerships during the pandemic. Oh, we yes. had lots of partnerships canceled or paused or never to be heard from again. Brands can right. run a partnership with you and go through financial issues and not pay you. You cannot predict when the brand is going to give you a partnership, even when you do you know, a multi one to two year deal, but sometimes you're locked into mm-hmm. exclusivity agreements sometimes, which I don't love because you never know what's around the corner for you. So that's how I think. And so um, brand partnerships was one way, but I was like, I want to have a bit more control over what we create and create a bit more forecastable Mm -hmm. income. So that's when we started looking at advertising revenue, which is ads on the content that we create because brands are always going to be running ads to reliable sources of traffic. And when I say ads, it's not a bank promoting a new bank account or a new brokerage account. It is ads in relation to just day-to-day life, right? When you watch TV, you see an ad that's relevant to you, those type of ads. Mm -hmm. And that's more forecastable. You can say, okay, summertime is slower traffic on online content because people are outside. Wintertime, Black Friday, December, people are shopping. There's more opportunity for advertising. Personal finance based January, February, March is high traffic because people are trying to change their lives every single year. So that was more forecastable. So then we introduced... um, advertising. So if you go on our website, you will see ads. Some people hate them, but that is part of how we keep our (laughs) platform free. Um, So that's very important for us and for us to have. And then going back to brand partnerships, one thing that was very important was diversity in brand partnerships. So Clevergirl Finance, we partner with a variety of different brand partners. We've partnered with financial institutions. We've partnered with shoe companies, with beauty companies, with <laughs> wellness companies, just to have that diversity. Because at the end of the day, you think yeah. about it, we are a personal finance media company, but money is one aspect that touches all aspects of your life. So you might still, be, you might want to get your finances in order, but guess what? You're still going to get your hair done. You're still going to wear some nice clothes. You're still going to mm-hmm. cook nice meals, go on a nice vacation. You still have you have to go grocery shopping. You still have to do a lot of things. You know, you have to replace your toiletries. So exactly. It, so it makes sense. Broad diversification in brand partnerships. And we don't do outreach um, much. Our content does the outreach for us uh, when brand partnerships and brand partnership PR companies go out to look for specific content that they're trying to partner on or create content around. They will very likely find us depending on the niche they're looking, looking for. So, And that's because we're churning out. There are different ways to do this, right? We can have someone just out there all day reaching out, sharing a media kit. This is our Instagram profile. This is our numbers. This is our video, et cetera. Or we can focus the energy on creating content that just by default attracts different people to us. We've gone brand partnerships because a woman in a company has read our content and said, hey, guys, this would be a great company to partner with. Their content has helped us. So um, brand partnerships is one aspect, but it's not a, it's a nice to have. It's not something that we depend on um, Mm -hmm. because I can't predict it. I can't tell what, I don't know, the next Mm -hmm. bank, (laughs) the next beauty company is going to do. Brand partnerships, man. 
It can be the bane of my existence. But you know what, Bola, you are. You are a very smart girl. You, <laughs> I'm like, I need to go take some of these courses you got on Clever Girl Finance. I'm always pivoting and testing. I'm the one that like, you know, I just have so much belief in my business. And obviously, like, you know, business mm-hmm. ebbs and flows. We go through high seasons. Of we course, go through low seasons. Yes. Like right now, it's summertime. This is a low season for us. Um, our revenue oh, is different during the summertime as well. But for me, it's mm-hmm. like this is a time to now test, implement, adjust, fix, update, upgrade. So the summertime, we're, we have right. our heads down yes. in, in the ground and just working and doing things. Mm-hmm. I think, okay, a lot of things are evolving. There's AI now. There's Google algorithm updates. You know, right, social media right. is very much pay to play. Um, right. So it, it's testing is constantly ongoing. <laughs> I love the fact that your traffic grew so much because that kind of traffic is immeasurable. It is just so many people want that kind of traffic to their website and with the not only having the traffic but you've grabbed that traffic on your email list because yes. those people had to register for yes. the courses right yes. so that is super valuable right and as i'm listening to you speak i'm thinking about a few things so clever girl finance is a media company yes. right that's what yes. you consider yourself and we know that media companies can be a challenging business what do you think helps with your success in this space of media and content first business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, one of the earliest lessons I learned, I'm going to try to explain this as best as I can to you. So if I'm not clear, just say, well, I'll say that again. When you think about media, right, it's usually tied around yeah. a brand. So we all know CNN. We all know Bravo TV, right? We right. all look at these as brands and we go to these specific brands for content. But for me, being an early stage media company, it is really important to have personal brand associated to overall brand in order to maintain that we like you, we trust you, want to get to know you, we're going to continue to visit you um, reference, mm-hmm. right? And so... Yes. I'm the face of my business. A lot of people see me. And like you said, a lot of people don't really know what we do at Clever Girl Finance because you see Paul all the time on the video, on, the, yeah. <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to maintain a, a sense of, and I'm very introverted, right? So after this podcast, I'm going to mm-hmm. go and recover and like put myself under my cover. Yeah, me too, girl. Wipe off <laughs> lipstick, listen. <laughs> but it's something I have to just create that sense of relatability. And a question mm-hmm. one of my mentors asked me was, okay, what's your favorite drink? coca-cola right i love coke zero Mm -hmm. do you know who founded coke zero no but it's such a big established brand that i don't need to know for me in early stages um in order to build that trust and like factor people need to know who you are and he's like i bet you when coca-cola first came out and was doing the testing people knew who the chemist was the same way we all know mark zuckerberg for facebook the same we all know elon musk for tesla our kids our grandkids are probably not going to care who these people are but we do because yep you know, personal brand associated. So there is that. And then the other lesson that was really important that I learned was that you look at brands and they all like the brands who have been able to put a grip in the ground and weather long haul, regardless of the economy, Mm -hmm. pandemic, whatever is happening, have always had a very strong diversity 
in their revenue streams. A classic example is McDonald's. We all look at McDonald's as a fast food company, but on balance sheet, McDonald's is a real estate company because they buy land and lease it to franchisers who then pay them for the lease of their land and to use their brand. Right. I learned that from that documentary and that was really eye-opening. So I don't know how far off topic I am from the question you asked me. (laughs) No, you're not far off topic at all, right? Right. Let me let me let me reel us back in though. So what we're talking about, guys, what what Bola is really demonstrating is she has built a media company. And media companies, yes, it's, hard it's hard. So yes. People they don't know, you know, which way it will go. Um, your audience, a lot of these media companies now, they start on Instagram, meaning yes. they don't even have people's email. If their Instagram goes down or what have you, they've lost that audience. But yes, you know, one's really thinking about that because they're like, Instagram's got two, five, 10 million. So we're good. But you have created a platform with traffic, with invested usership and people who are doing multiple courses. And so you have created something so valuable in a really risky space that can be very unpredictable. And so I just want to know how you were able to do that and you were sharing that. And to properly answer that question, the way we're kind of like going through the media wave is by creating diversified content for our audience so that Mm -hmm. they can find us at any point, right? Whether it's video that they consume, audio they consume, text they consume. We want to have something there. So you don't say, oh, I used to read Clever Girl Finance, but too bad they don't have a podcast (laughs) or too bad they don't have an internet. So we try to do that. And then on the flip side, diversifying the revenue streams, having the cash buffer, having investments on behalf of the business, right? Because we have the business brokerage. Um, And then continue to test and staying up to date with what's going on. How can we leverage AI Mm -hmm. to continue to grow, right? How can we stay on top of Google algorithms? Uh, So we are very, for our website, we're a very heavily SEO-focused platform, which is search engine optimization, which is basically using keywords so people can find you. And Google had a major algorithm change, which hit us and impacted our advertising revenue by 40%. Wow. One thing was to be like, okay, you know what? It is what it is. We'll just keep moving with the 60. Or it was, okay, how do we mm-hmm. fix this an overhaul so that we are now meeting yes. Google's requirements? And that meant working with SEO strategies, right? Um, mm-hmm. Having all of our writers brushing up their SEO school skills, adjusting guidelines. So we're basically trying to stay on top of changes because changes are inevitable Mm -hmm. right and at the same time continuing to meet our audience at their point of need with a variety of different content options and also continuing to diversify our income so that's how we're kind of managing through um Mm -hmm. the changes and the challenges of media and what advice would you give for fellow um side hustlers who are starting platforms media-based content-based in feeling encouraged enough to keep going. You know, when you say you have 17 writers, it can sound like, oh, wow, you have a whole team. It's only me. How am I going to do this? What are some tips to go from working on this yourself, doing everything yourself to eventually having a team that can help you produce this content day to day? Yeah. So I can definitely read because it was just me at one point. And I would say prioritizing is very important when you're on your own. Um, for me, I picked two things that I knew could work. I did not have a podcast. There was no YouTube channel. There was no, none of that. Mm-hmm. It was just the content on the website and social media to have a presence. I wasn't even focused on email at the time, but those are the two things mm-hmm. I knew that I could focus on building with twin babies, with life, 
and establish <laughs> yep. them. And once that happened, I was like, okay, what can, once this is turning along and there's systems and automations in place, which you want to figure out how do I make things easier? There are so many tools that allow you yes. to automate things. You don't need to have a full-time writer, but you can hire a good person on, you can leverage AI to create an art outline, hire someone on Fiverr or Upwork to help you build it out. Boom, you have an article, right? You may need to invest mm -hmm. money. If you don't have the money to hire, then you spend your time building out that article based on you know, the AI outline, which I didn't have that option back then. So mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. it's prioritizing what matters, starting with what you know you're able to do and then adding on to it. The reason why we were able to add on the podcast and the video aspect, which kind of seems seamless was because we already had content. We had articles that could mm -hmm. serve as podcast outlines. We had articles that could serve as video scripts. So it became easier. And every time, um, we got paid for something. Every time money came into the business, I would say, okay, we're going to put a little bit of this money aside so that I can hire a videographer to help me make two or three videos. This was when I got to the videographer stage. Before that, if you look at the yeah. older videos, it is me on my iPhone, whatever, Canon, little point and shoot. <laughs> you can see the difference, but I was creating the content. So the second thing I would say is yeah. once you prioritize where you know you can put your effort and your time focus in there is understand that progress is better than perfection. In business, there's nothing like yeah. perfection. There are so many things that I look back at and I cringe. I'm like, oh my God, this is so terrible. Even stuff we did last mm -hmm. week. But you know what? <laughs> it worked. Yep, it yep. did the job. We can improve it as it we go. What it needed to so do. don't compare yourself to someone who has all the lights and the sound stage and the whoever and is churning out Instagram reels and can you know how people I always wonder those girls who I don't know if you've seen those reels they just jump into outfits in different cities around the world oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. this is like a hundred thousand dollar reel it better jump off do not compare yourself right. if you can only jump from your kitchen to your living room that's what it's gonna be right. post that reel post, <laughs> post that the reel, reel. Okay, I'm encouraged. I hope you guys are encouraged too because yeah, sometimes for me it can feel like I want to do so much, Bola. I want to I have so many goals and plans for the Side Hustle Pro platform and it just feels like where do I even start? But you're right, focusing on what you can do at this point. Yes. Because one day you'll be looking back like, "Oh, remember when I only used to do a podcast? Remember when this was all it was?" You're not even going to know when the switch happened, but yeah. it's just going to happen when you stay consistent. Yeah. Um, and one last thing before we jump into the lightning round. <laughs> Speaking of consistency, which I also think is a huge part of your success, you know, you kept chugging along no matter what. But one thing I've been thinking a lot about lately is this idea of assets. So a lot of time people like to talk about assets like, oh, I have real estate. I have a lot of assets, assets. But content folks, content folks flip that mental switch and realize that your content is an asset too. As yes. long as you own it, right? Yes. It's on your platform. Yes. It's your content. And you can do so many things with that. You know, I can go back to the Side Hustle Pro catalog and I can monetize that. I can make it into blog posts. I can work with brand partners. There's so many things. Yes. And I had to recently make that switch in my own brain. So I'm curious to know if you also think of your content as an asset. Yes, your content is an asset. Your brand is an asset. Your, you know, the brand you have built as a standalone brand, take away every content you've made, that brand, even if we deleted all our content, the brand Clever Oil Finance, the brand side Hustle Pro is still going to attract a certain audience. You then have this content that is an asset because it is attracting people 
um, that can be monetized either by you or by other interested parties. Um, and so that makes it, you know, an asset because something that you can sell, right? Um, people always say, well, how do I exit a personal brand, right? Um, you can decide that, you know, over time you start to introduce other faces uh, to help build out this brand. And this is something that I've seen a really big financial expert do. Um, I'm not going to mention his name because <laughs> it's debatable depending on the time of year. But I went to an event that he was at and he was very open as to sharing what he did. And he said that his goal was to leave a legacy beyond himself. And so he has mm -hmm. introduced other players into his media company mm -hmm. where it's no longer just about him. You're now seeing 10 different faces, right? And so, yep. That means if you're seeing 10 different faces, they're all interchangeable. It's like CNN. We know all of these different newscasters. When they bring a new newscaster, we don't think about it because we trust the brand. So that's one way, mm -hmm. um, expanding your brand beyond yourself, uh, building a brand that can stand on a name, building those content assets that attract an audience. Anytime you have an audience that is attracted to a brand you have built, then it is an asset. But you have to own that content. You don't yes. own the content on Instagram. You, you don't own the content on TikTok. <laughs> it's in the fine right, print, right, even on right. YouTube, but you own your email yeah. list. You own that those articles on your website. Uh, you own the videos that you have housed in your own database. So um, yes, yes. content is an asset. There are people who will buy your podcast and hire you as an employee. Um, there are people who hire you as an employee for a period of time to kind of continue running it. So you've given them side hustle pro, but you know, I'll get my weekly paycheck. I'll host the podcast <laughs> or they can bring someone else, you know, and gradually transition it could be you and someone co-hosting yeah. for a while. And all of a sudden, Oh, now it's going to be so. And so that happens quite often if you pay attention, especially on the really big mm -hmm. podcasts and big TV shows. Um, you see that quite often. So yes, your content that you create, you don't have to have real estate, a tangible asset, mm -hmm. the content you create, the work you have done, the book you have written. These are all assets. Right. And we didn't even have time to get into the book business. I know you <laughs> got to run. So, <laughs> you've written four whole books and we didn't get to talk about it. But <laughs> you guys go to Clever Girl Finance, see all of Bola's books. And, uh, you know, that's just amazing. <laughs> so now let's jump into the lightning round. Okay. Yes. Yes. Number one. What is a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Mentors and other business owners. And please dig deep into your Rolodex because you know someone you can talk to about their experience. They don't need to be in your business, oh, yes. in your business uh, niche. They don't need to be current in business. They may be retired, but people have experiences that you can learn from. And it's such a gem. So mm -hmm. other business owners, mentors, get out yes. there, network, meet those people, ask them questions, get those lessons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Number two, who is a black woman entrepreneur who you would want to switch places with for a day and why? Very cliche, but I will say Oprah, specifically in the early days of her starting Harpo Media. Yes. I want to know what happened yes. behind the scenes of building that media company. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, number three, what's a non-negotiable part of your day? Time with my kids. Number four, what's a personal trait that has helped you significantly in business? Um, I'm very organized. I'm very organized to, to a fault sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think we could all, we could all believe that. <laughs> 
And then finally, what is your parting advice for the Side Hustle Pro audience, you know, who wants to do what you've done, but's worried about losing a steady paycheck? I would say, um, don't be in a hurry, right? For me, I could not deal with the mental anguish of not knowing how to build, pay my bills and build a business. Mm-hmm. So build your buffer, build that mm-hmm. cash buffer. It's okay to take your time. It's okay to work full-time and run your business as a side hustle. If you need to go full-time, it's okay to get a part-time job to pay the bills. Don't be in a hurry. Don't compare yourself yeah. to anybody on Instagram. Go at your own pace. I would also say yes. always be testing and always be pivoting. There are so many things that we have tested in Clever Finance that have failed. I have cried tears of water and mm. of blood because it's been such a massive Ooh. failure, but we, you know, we get back up, we test, we keep moving. So test and pivot, test and pivot. Look at your favorite businesses. They're constantly testing and pivoting. Elon Musk is in a Mm -hmm. hot mess test right now with Twitter, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he will pivot, right? So the the case studies are out there. And then, yeah, so, you know, those things, don't be in a hurry, build your Mm -hmm. cash buffer and test and pivot and go at your own pace. Yes, I love that. What a great note to end on. I mean, my main takeaway from you here is that it doesn't have to look like any one thing. Like you don't have to put yourself in a box with side hustling and say, oh, I need to side hustle this way. Do what you need to do. Take your time. So thank you so much, Bola, for being in the guest chair. This was phenomenal. I learned a lot. I'm inspired. I got some new ideas. Where can people connect with you and Clever Girl Finance after this episode? Yes, visit the website, clevergirlfinance.com and then find us on social media everywhere at Clever Girl Finance. All right, guys, there you have it. And I'll talk to you next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you'll receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.